Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 59, SummerSlam 1991. A match made in heaven? A match made in hell. SummerSlam is the fourth annual SummerSlam pay-per-view produced by the WWF. The event would take place on August 26th, 1991 at Madison Square Garden in New York City. It's like home turf, baby. The attendance was 20,000 people. Yeah, that's not this. Well, never mind. I was like, this isn't WrestleMania. Like, that's good for any event. But, you know. That's more than they had at this year's WrestleMania. Oh, yeah? Because it was the LA one where they only had like 16,000 people. And they papered half of that. That's funny. I mean, this is Madison Madison Square Garden like a sellout at 20,000 people? I think so. Yeah, I know that it's not like particularly big comparatively to like things later in time, but it's just a historic venue. So things that were happening around this time, Frank Capra, director of such classics as It Happened One Night, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and It's a Wonderful Life would pass away a week later. That's kind of crazy. I've never seen a Frank Capra movie. Have you never watched It's a Wonderful Life? No, I think about it every year, and I never do it. That's crazy, because I've never watched it either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're such such movie guys that, like, I figured that one of us had seen it. Yeah, it'll be one of those things where I'll be like, oh, Frank Capra, and then I'll watch, like, five Frank Capra movies or something, but... I haven't made it to that point in my life. I finally just watched uh, The Godfather Part 1 and Part 2 in quarantine. Yay! Yeah. I didn't watch Part 3 yet, but I figured that uh, it's not any... Part three. That it's no hurry. Yeah. Everyone's... It it takes place so much further afterwards that it feels like a... I mean, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But in my head, it's like, oh, this is like a cash grab, right? That It totally is. It's just... Yeah. It's not worth your time. And this, and when I finished the second movie, it ended so perfectly that I was like, well, there can't be a third one. <laughs> that's so, that's crazy. Like, this is the end of the story. I mean, the only reason I even own Godfather 3 is because it was because, a box set. Because you have to buy them together at this point. Because you can't just buy a copy of Godfather 2. You have to buy, like, the whole box. They're just I mean, as good as everybody says they are. That is my review. No, Nothing bad to say. My only thing, like, hot take would be that Godfather 1 is Which better. one did you like? You liked Godfather 1 better? I think that it's more complete and more interesting because you watch the character, you know, evolve. And then in the second one, it's more like just him going deeper down the hole. And by no means is it bad. It is still a fucking masterpiece. I just think that if you're going to watch... If you're going to either watch both of them or you just watch the first one, 
I don't think you just like pick up and watch the second one without watching the first one recently. Even though it's kind of a flashback? Yeah, the flashback stuff's really great. I mean, I loved it. I just think that the first one is more interesting. I'm more interested in everything that happens in the first one than I am in like the Cuba stuff. It's like, oh, okay. Like I still love all the I still love all the Pacino stuff. Uh Diane Keaton's fight with him was pretty incredible and and messed up. But, you know, not so hot take. The Godfather Part 1 and Part 2 are uh, incredible movies that are worth your time. I've been trying to tell you this for years. Oh, everyone has. And what's funny is, like, all my friends... There's a running joke with a group of my friends where it's like, oh, like, none of us have seen The Godfather. Like, that's the one movie that, like, nobody's watched yet. And I feel like we should have just all got together and watch it. Of course, probably not within the last month or whatever, but, you know, just in general. It was probably time to... To just get a group of people together and watch The Godfather. Although sure. it doesn't feel like a very fun movie to watch in a group. It's definitely not the uh, one that you want to have the Mystery Science Theater experience with. No, not at all. Like, I started, I had no no issue, like, with getting bored. Like, I, wa- I turned it on and it was just like, oh, cool. That was r- the fastest three hours of my life. Also, a couple weeks later. Frank, Frank Capra, everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. A couple weeks after SummerSlam, also the song that would trailblaze the grunge rock genre, Smells Like Teen Spirit, would be released. Hell yeah. The whole album? Or was was there a single before the album dropped? Uh, The single got released, and then the album, I believe, got released pretty shortly after that as well. Yeah. I don't really remember how things worked in 91 because I was a child. But I assume, you know, you get a single first. Granted... Because that was their first major release, second album, first major label release. You, uh, you, 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 you fuck with Nirvana, Matt? I do not. I was, for some reason, just Nirvana just never did anything for me. I think I, that they're I mean, more I, of. I like them. I mean, the the songs that I know, I'm yeah. not gonna be like I, I I I'll listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit, but I'm just not like. That's one of my favorite songs or anything. Oh, like yeah. I mean, I don't think any Nirvana's fans' favorite song is Smells Like Teen Spirit. But the they're one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, this was important in getting me into other things. And I think that they do have a handful of really great songs. And their best album is their last album. But I'm not like a Nirvana stan, if you will. But I will say I mean, that... I know uh, they had a really great drummer. Yeah, Totally. Uh, Kurt Cobain's favorite band is my favorite band. What's that band? The Melvins. Ah. So you know, I that's and I mean I think I'm the sure... biggest thing the biggest thing about Nirvana is that they just influence so many other bands that we that we probably grew up yeah. listening to. And I'm sure that Kurt Cobain would have killed himself again if he uh, had to listen to some of the bands that he you know exactly. influenced. But you know, it is what it is because. They were, he was into like weirder stuff than what he was even, what he was really making. Wanting to be more of a noise rock band than it was. Either way, we all, everybody, everybody knows the story of Nirvana. Yeah, we definitely don't need to go into any history about Nirvana. No, no. I mean, you can say the same for The Godfather, but. But what we do need to go into is SummerSlam. I think so. So Vince's narration starts up as the logo rolls onto the screen. 
we see a wedding invitation fly on, and we see Macho Man po- proposing to Miss Elizabeth. Oh, my God. The waterworks were already flowing. I love that Vince says, like, in the, his caption when he brings everybody in, it's summertime, but the living is anything but easy. Or maybe Gorilla says that when they... But somebody says that, and I was like, oh, that's fun, because, you know, you're taking a taking some lyrics from a classic old tune, switching it up a little bit, combat sports. <laughs> we then see Slaughter, Adnan, Colonel Mustafa, Hogan, and Warrior all engulfed in flames. Is this the About- first time that Hogan and Mustafa will be in the ring since he took the belt from Mustafa to create Hulkamania? I don't. I think they probably had some rematches like right after he won the belt from him. Yeah, but like in, that was like a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a little under a that, decade. I don't know. Yeah, I just, I, mean, I, we, I just, I found it really funny that you know, we haven't seen Mustafa slash Iron Sheik have any big matches in quite some time. So yeah, we haven't. You still got those boots though. Gorilla Monsoon then welcomes us to the show, and he has Bobby Heenan. And Roddy Piper joining him on commentary. I'm going to let you know right now, this is a solid, solid three-man booth. It's quality. It's real quality. I I was like, whenever they showed it, I was like, a three-man booth? This, this I never knew we did a three-man booth until, like, the 2000s. Yeah, they, like, I feel like that it's, I was like, man, this could get messy. But it really doesn't. It's ridiculously like smooth and people nobody's like fighting for the microphone ever no it's I, I was really really impressed so the three of them preview the heaven and hell matches heenan says that savage is tying the knot all right it's a noose around his neck uh bobby heenan is so so well such a goddamn treasure and then piper chimes in we're talking about a match made in hell. We're talking about more turmoil than they got in Russia. You got Slaughter, Mustafa, Adnoit. That's one Adnoit. brain. That's one brain. <laughs> then you got Hogan. Hogan hates Warrior. Warrior, Warrior hates, hates everybody. everybody. <laughs> yes. Warrior hates everybody was so good. And it's I was like, oh, like that's a that's some shoot talk. <laughs> but we're headed off to our first match of the dragon the texas tornado and the british bulldog versus the warlord and power of glory of hercules and paul roma with slick it's the dragon this is the dragon i've been waiting to see the entrance of the fire breathing dragon with his like super cool costume so the dragon of course is ricky steamboat as you said, he's dressed up in his dragon costume, breathing fire when he gets to ringside. Just being cool. And we haven't seen Ricky Steamboat since Great American Bash 1989. Yeah, he just, he had his baby. He was doing the whole family gimmick. Well, he came back to WCW for the matches versus Flair. And then he had that one match versus Luger, which was at Great American Bash 89. And that was episode 31. And then he just kind of disappeared on us. Yeah. He, maybe some... he made another little dragon. Maybe he just wanted to 
you know, spend some time with his little dragon. But he has been he has been missed, especially going out on like kind of a high note like that tr- flare trilogy. Give me a break. Does the dragon, the Texas tornado and the British bulldog not sound like the name of a good sitcom? <laughs> yeah, coming to the WWE Network. Well, shit, two of these men are dead. <laughs> yes, two of Sorry, them. Sorry, I was like, I was like yeah, I kind of like just an old man sitcom with like the the bright lights that cast no shadows. And it's like, yeah, I imagine, like looks like a soap opera, but it's old steamboat, old tornado and old bulldog. But, you know, it said two of those men aren't with us. How did bulldog die? We all know what happened to Carrie Von Eric, unfortunately. I'm not sure exactly how Bulldog died. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a heart attack or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I just wasn't a... Yeah, hopefully he didn't go out like Carrie. Hopefully not. So the match gets going. We see Roma with a body slam of Dragon, followed by a drop kick. Then Paul goes up to the second rope, coming off, but Steamboat grabs him for an arm drag into an arm lock. I popped for the arm drag. Just because I hadn't seen a steamboat arm drag in forever. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like and steamboat's got the best arm drag. The dragon's working on the arm, hits a heel kick, but Roma starts firing back, goes for an Irish whip, and charges into the corner. But steamboat moves and takes Paul over with an arm drag followed by a drop kick and a snapmare. Hercules gets taken down with multiple hip tosses by the dragon. Tornado comes in to work on his arm. But Herc escapes and tries to slam Von Eric's head into a turnbuckle, which he blocks and reverses for a 10 count of head slams, followed by a 10 count of mounted punches. I know, that was like overkill. It was crazy. We get a big roundhouse right by Tornado, but Hercules retaliates with a rake of the eyes. Warlord and Bulldog both tag in. Davy Boy starts running the ropes, knocks the Warlord down after several shoulder tackles and clotheslines and then picks him up for a vertical suplex to get a two count. If there's Steam- anybody that's going to knock over the Warlord in this match, it is Davy Boy. <laughs> because Warlord is um, is a monster, but Davy Boy is looking... Very beefy. Yeah, about as, about as beefy as he's probably ever been. Or ever will be. Steamboat goes up to the top rope, coming off with a karate chop to the head of the Warlord. More chops to the chest goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, so the dragon jumps up to the second rope, leaps over a charging warlord, and tries for a monkey flip. But the warlord's too strong, and Ricky just falls to the mat. Roma with an axe handle off the top rope, a clothesline, starts jawing with Tornado, allowing Steamboat to recover and float over on a body slam attempt. He tries for an O'Connor roll, but Hercules comes in with a clothesline that the dragon ducks, but is then kicked off into a clothesline by Warlord. Steamboat's taken over with a vertical suplex, multiple backbreakers by Roma. Herc comes in with a clubbing forearms across the back, followed by a military press slam and a head slam into a turnbuckle. Warlord joins in with a body slam, Roma with a high knee. Hercules tosses the dragon to the ropes, but coming back, Steamboat slides under Herc, starts throwing right hands, goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, and Hercules flapjacks Ricky across the top rope. Uh, the flat rubber band slam? 
The warlord, with a body slam, goes to the second rope for a falling fist, but Steamboat gets his feet up into Warlord's chin and crawls to his corner for the... Hot tag! Tornado in with right hands on everybody, tosses Warlord to the ropes, who comes back with a sunset flip. So Von Erich reaches out for a tag to the bulldog before Warlord can roll him over. Davy Boy comes off the second rope, but Warlord catches him, then Tornado with a discus punch to knock him down with Bulldog on top for a two count. Von Eric locks the claw on Hercules, while Davy Boy with a running power slam on Roma for a near fall. The dragon then flies off the top rope with a crossbody onto Paul for the pin and the win. <laughs> I miss the claw. I love a claw. I love a I love a I love a claw if it's Carrie Von Eric or like you know Lance Storm. I Lance don't Archer. I don't particularly love a El El uh, Gigante. Uh, you mean claw. Lance Archer? Yeah. What did I say? You said Lance Storm. Oh. I like I can tell you right now, Lance Storm. Yeah, really Lance did Storm has not in the claw. No, yeah. Lance, I had Lance Storm on my mind. I guess he's a good person to have on your mind. Yeah. If we can be serious for a minute. You know who was on my mind throughout this whole match, though? Steamboat. How good does it just feel to have Steamboat back? And they, like, had him in the ring for longer than anybody else. And he uh, got the pin. And, you know, he worked from underneath. It was great. So this would be the final WWF appearance for both Paul Roma and Ricky Steamboat. Oh, no! you're You're fucking with me, right? No, I'm not fucking with you. That's the last... So Steamboat showed up for one match? He sticks around the WWF for, like, maybe, like, a few more months, but he's not never on pay-per-view ever again. Oh, my fucking God. And I felt like this at least, was underutilized. At least, at least WWF. He should have for later in the card. WWF. because later in the card, there's some unnecessary shit. Yeah, I know WWF. I get it. We then go to the locker room. Sean Mooney's there. He's, like, what? that costume so famous. Is it just famous because it's cool? Not because he... Ugh. Well, whatever. Moving on. <laughs> I'm so upset. Michael's got heat with the WWF right now. It won't be the first, last. It's definitely not the second time. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> we go to the locker room. Sean Mooney's there with Mr. Perfect and the coach. Coach blows his whistle before Perfect says, to be champion, you have to be perfect. I wish he still was perfect, but they made him eat a pin. You're still mad about that? Yeah, why shouldn't I be? I mean, if like... Jesse, if Jesse, you know, if Dino Bravo was still the strongest man for like eight years, <laughs> I can still be upset about bad decisions that I deem to be uh, inappropriate. So we're headed to our second match, Brett Hitman Hart versus Mr. Perfect with the coach for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. What a second, what a Intercontinental for the second match? Come on. After you already gave me Steamboat, I feel like that, you know, when people are like, oh, it's a really good album. But I think that the like track sequence was, could have been, should have been altered. I feel that way with this show. <laughs> Just saying it early on. It's like, oh, like, there's some things you should have put in other places. But this is the is it the first time we've seen the coach? This is the first time we've seen the coach. Okay, I, I didn't remember seeing the coach before. 
aka John Tolos. Okay. He is an he is an NWA and professional wrestling Hall of Famer. And what about what else? I have no clue. I have no other information about him. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was just curious. I was like, okay, it's the coach. Is the coach a wrestler I've seen before? He has not been a wrestler that we have seen before. Yeah. I didn't think so, but sometimes you drop some knowledge on me, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> not and, this uh, time. Not this time. It's just like, oh, he's got a whistle. He uses it less than Bill Alfonso, and I appreciate it. So we see Stu and Helen Hart in the crowd. Brett's parents. Mm-hmm. And then Brett gives his shades to a youngster at ringside, so he started doing that gimmick, which is always a cool little, cool yeah. little thing. I mean, the, the purest of babyface things to do. So the match gets going. Hart starts running the ropes. Perfect tries for a hip toss, but Hitman blocks and reverses into one of his own. Brett is tossed to the ropes, comes back to jump on Perfect's back for a crucifix pin attempt. Hart then locks on a side headlock, where Perfect continues to escape, but Brett keeps hold of it until Perfect finally escapes with a knee, tosses Hitman to the ropes, and comes back with a crossbody for a two-count. The kickout forces Hart to the apron, where he delivers a shoulder block and goes for a sunset flip for a near fall, and then goes back to the side headlock. Perfect again tosses Brett to the ropes and goes for a big boot, but Hitman catches him, takes him down to the mat, and stomps the gut. Irish whip that is reversed by Perfect, hits a body slam, but then Hart kicks Perfect in the chin, following with a body slam of his own. Then Perfect kicks Brett in the chin, but Hitman retaliates with a knee to the gut and a clothesline to send Perfect to the floor. Perfect and Coach start heading to the back, but Hart grabs Perfect, ripping his singlet before dragging him back into the ring. Yeah, perfect. I mean, he can lose by DQ and still keep the belt by the count out. So what does he care? Brett has perfect in the corner. The ref goes to break them up, so perfect hits a cheap shot to take control. Several kicks by perfect sends Hitman out to the floor, where perfect follows out with a massive chop. Hart keeps climbing to the apron, but perfect repeatedly hits him to keep him from coming back in even sending him into the guardrail. But once back in, Brett starts firing back, goes for an Irish whip that's reversed, so Hitman leaps up and over a charging perfect, goes for an O'Connor roll for a two-count, followed by a perfect quick jab and a head slam into a turnbuckle. More damage is done to Hart with a hard Irish whip back first into a corner, a snap neckbreaker, followed by a jackknife pin attempt for a near fall. Irish Whip is reversed by Hitman, but ducks his head, allowing Perfect to kick him, and delivers a drop kick to send Brett to the floor. Does anybody sell like chest first into the turnbuckle better than Bret Hart? No, that's okay. why it's one of his signature moves. I was like, yeah, I just, I just, just wanted to, you know, bring that because we haven't seen really any singles Bret Hart, have we? I think we've seen one other time. Yeah. When they when they thought they were going to start a singles run and they decided against it and yeah but I mean this is like this is this is wrestling <laughs> like I mean yeah but that the way he takes that sells that turnbuckle chest first bump just blows my mind every time so is this match excellent or perfect 
We're going to have to tune in and find out. Take it away, Matt. Perfect comes out to the floor, and the two men brawl for a moment until Perfect goes to climb to the top rope. But Hart meets him there, where they continue to brawl until Hitman is punched off. But Perfect ends up falling off right on top of Hart for a two count. Perfect is slapping Brett in the corner. Hare tosses him across the ring, tosses him to the ropes, and locks on a sleeper. Hitman's going to sleep, though he keeps his arm raised on the ref's third attempt, escapes with elbows to the gut, begins to run the rope, and goes for another crucifix pin. But Perfect falls backwards for a near fall. Perfect with another hard Irish whip this time to send Brett chest first into the corner and goes for the Perfect Plex for the pin... And no! no, heart kicks out. Hitman's firing back with right hands, inverted atomic drop, ducks a roundhouse right and gives an atomic drop, a headbutt. Hair tosses perfect across the ring where he crotches himself on the ring post. Bruh. Brett with a snap suplex, an inside cradle, a Russian leg sweep, all for two counts. Hart with a backbreaker and goes to the second rope for an elbow drop, a near fall. Hitman starts complaining to the ref, allowing Perfect to go for an O'Connor roll for a two count. Perfect is sent to the outside on the kick out, where Brett follows out and Irish whips Perfect into the ring post before rolling him back into the ring. Posted. Hart kicks Perfect's legs out from under him several times, drags him to the middle of the ring, looks to lock on the sharpshooter, but Coach has climbed to the apron, so Hitman knocks him off and begins to go to the outside, while Perfect has gotten up and kicks the rope that is between Brett's legs to crotch him. Yeah, that's a, a fun, weird spot that also looks like it hurts really bad. I was like, I don't even know how to like take write the notes for that for that specific spot. It's like, oh, but you, you nailed it. That was... Uh, Excellence in execution, Matt. Perfect with a wishbone leg drop. Goes for it a second time, but Hart catches the leg and rolls over, turning it into a sharpshooter for the submission and the win. What a... You know, in the last episode when we talk about how it's like, oh, he got that hold on a couple times? Yeah. And it was like, yeah, of course he, like, to tap out immediately he's worn out this is kind of the opposite where it's like oh he wasn't even ready for it because he just like slapped it on like out of nowhere but like he wasn't even if you if you're not ready for it you can't defend it so it's just like oh he's just got it in and you're done so this win would make brett hitman heart and new <laughs> oh that's so hard intercontinental to champion yeah, and it feels like we have an intercontinental champion. Uh, we have an, I guess, at this point in time, I don't know, like who ha- it was Warrior then Perfect. Yeah, I think so. Hart? Yeah, because Warrior vacated it when he won the championship, so then Perfect yeah. won a tournament. Yeah, and then before that, it was Honky Tonk Man, and mm-hmm. then Steamboat. So I would say outside this is of back when, Steamboat, this is back when the intercontinental title actually meant something. Yeah, except for uh, when Honky Tonk Man had it. He's still the longest, <laughs> longest reigning IC champion of all time, so you have, to give him, you have to give him some props. Yeah, I mean, Honky Tonk, like 
Yeah, he's like he sucks. He's like the kind of the opposite of Hogan, where it's like, yeah, he's also not going to take a back a back bump, but he's also going to be, but he's also going to be on the mid card. So like, and he, I guess above the mid card, Honky Tonk Man is kind of a hard person to have an opinion because it's like he's the Honky Tonk Man. Just give him a pass. So post match, Hitman ends up ripping the rest of perfect singlet off leaving him in his briefs before celebrating his victory yeah he's got it like the singlet like over his shoulder like he like just went rabbit hunting or something <laughs> like it's his trophy it's like i don't want that sweaty trophy that's weird gross so if i told you that perfect had a severe back injury before this match would you believe me no but i'd be pretty upset that he worked well he would be out for the <laughs> next year uh, after having back surgery because of this he, back. He, because of because he already he already needed the surgery. He already needed the surgery, but he was the champion and he did right by the business and yeah. went out there and had this match. You know, the the match that uh, Bret Hart d- did refuse to have so it was taken from him. Yeah. <laughs> we then go to Lord Alfred Hayes out in the crowd with the Hart family trying to get an interview with Stu and just Stu keeps ignoring him. But then until, when Stu finally talks to him, like, Stu like literally their time's and up. he just like, and he just like, yeah, time's up, but Stu's still talking. And Alfred Hayes sells it. Like he's not talking. It's, it was really weird. But Brett also shows up to give his parents a hug, which was nice. And yeah, baby face stuff. How scary of a looking dude is Stu Hart? Very scary. He just like, looks so vacant. But I will I will say this that I thought about getting into wrestling at one point, and I was going to go to Stu Hart. Oh, that uh, do you think that mildly off topic? But do you think in wrestling with shadows when he's like stretching that those two guys in the basement, those like big beefy, guys, and he's like obviously a decrepit old man at this point, like, and that guy's like moaning, is that a work? Nope. Looks like a. Kind of. I'm like, there's no way that this old man just like laying on you with his like flabby fucking, you know, 115 pound body. That's all shoot, baby. Stu Hart could destroy us right now <laughs> if he was alive. Yeah, from the grave. But I just, some of that stuff, he's like, if I just move my hand, like, you know, I can't do a Stu Hart. But uh, yeah, he's just like, if I just stretch my arm this way, he moves his hand like six inches. And then the guy's like just moaning. And I'm like, this doesn't, I've, yeah, I guess that's the difference between a shoot hold and a work hold. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We then get an ad for Hulk Hogan, the real American story that will be shown on pay-per-view. And you're probably wondering, so does that mean you guys are going to cover it? I think that I want to watch it. I don't know if we need to cover it, but I think that I'd like to see it. The answer is no, we're not going to cover it because... It was basically a Coliseum home video that they put on pay-per-view. Yeah, I could tell that from that. And it has and it has five matches on it. Four of them, which we have already covered. Oh, so it's just matches? I thought it was like gonna be like a like a history puff piece. You thought it was gonna be like a biography. No. It no. is literally just five matches. Four of them we've covered. The other one is actually the match when he becomes champion in yeah. back in nineteen eighty. Three. Yeah, so it's even less interesting than like my three faces of Foley tape that I watched all the time. Yeah. 
or like my WrestleMania's like greatest. Or I wonder if I still have that tape. It was like a WrestleMania compilation tape that I watched a lot, but I don't remember it having super early stuff on it. I feel like I don't know. But literally, we could watch all the matches that are on it because they're all out there. But. I thought it was going to be like you know Hulk next to a pool being interviewed, and then them like talking about his like him growing up. But no, it's just matches, so I'm not no, nothing that interesting. Sorry. We then go to the back. Mean Gene's there with the Bushwhackers and Andre the Giant. Oh, your favorite. It's not just the Bushwhackers. Continue. Gene starts talking about an interview he did with Andre a few months back before sending it to a video where we see Earthquake and Jimmy Hart interrupting this interview and Quake uses the megaphone on Andre's leg while the Giant's yelling at Jimmy. And so that's why Andre the Giant has a crutch. And he's, yeah, and he's li- has a crutch and is limping yeah. really bad. But That's then we the other back. thing that I'm upset about. Yeah, <laughs> is, is Andre's horrendous health, and then putting him here, and then this like he obviously needs the crutches, and then you know doing some dumb angle where he didn't have them for a moment, so he could have them later. We then come back to the Bushwhackers yelling how they're going to kick the natural disasters all over the place. Nah. And this is this is the sound of us lifting our arms. Doing the uh, Bushwhackers Yeah, march. Like, like fucking idiots. God, I hate them. So we're headed to our third match, the natural disasters of Earthquake and Typhoon with Jimmy Hart versus the Bushwhackers of Luke and Butch with Andre the Giant. So the story behind this match was that Tugboat had turned on the Bushwhackers during a six-man tag match versus Earthquake and the Nasty Boys, and Typhoon would then join Quake to form this new tag team. So Tugboat is Typhoon. Correct. Typhoon is Tugboat? I was trying to do, I was trying to do like a Finkel is Einhorn, but without, you know, the like mean trans jokes. So the disasters are on the outside of the ring, staring down the giant when the bushwhackers come up from behind them and tap them on the shoulder, followed by an eye rake and then running away back into the ring. Quick question. Correct. The bushwhackers look lick people? Yes. Did I not catch that before? We've talked about it before. Have it's, we? Yeah. Maybe it just blows my mind every time I see it because I immediately try to rinse them of my memory. That's probably for the best. I think so, too. Bobby says that if he was managing the Bushwhackers, he would commit suicide. Likewise, Bobby. (laughs) So we get started. Typhoon uses his power to take Butch to the corner, goes for a roundhouse right, but the Bushwhacker ducks it and begins to bite Typhoon's ass. Oh. You like comedy? You like jokes? Here's your match. Earthquake comes in from behind to hit Butch, but he ducks, so Typhoon takes the clothesline. The Bushwhackers double-team Irish Whip Quake to the corner, followed by a double-team Irish Whip of Typhoon into Earthquake. They then grab Quake to use as a battering ram on Typhoon, followed by a double-team clothesline on Earthquake to send the disasters out to the floor. Those are fun. Come on. Yeah, there's, there's some fun spots here. There really is. I just like... I hate the Bushwhackers. I hate that Andre's even associated with him at this point. And I like Earthquake. And I know that Earthquakes, they just make big guys to go against the champion and lose. 
you know, by champion, I mean Hulk Hogan. You know, you build up a big guy, Hulk Hogan beats him, and then he goes down to the mid card, and now he needs a tag partner. But I still like Earthquake forever. Quake comes back, starts delivering clubbing forearms across the back of Butch, slams his back into the turnbuckle. A snapmare goes for an elbow drop, but Butch moves, is crawling to his corner, but Earthquake has hold of his foot to keep him from tagging. Elbow drop by Quake, Typhoon with a backbreaker, another slam of the back into the turnbuckle, lifts Butch up onto his shoulder, but then tags in Earthquake, who places Butch in a bear hug. All of a sudden, Heenan is leaving to go to the locker room to embarrass Hogan. Yeah, this is the most interesting thing in the show, probably. Or not the show, the match. This match. Possibly. Butch is trying to fire back, but Quake with a backbreaker, a back elbow from Typhoon, goes for the cover when Luke makes the save. Typhoon is holding Butch when Earthquake comes in with a clothesline, but the Bushwhacker moves, so the disasters hit each other allowing Butch to make the hot tag. I hate that people love the Bushwhackers. I mean, I guess they're children. Luke with forearms that aren't phasing Typhoon, but finally gets him down with a flying headbutt. All four men in the ring brawling, and the Bushwhackers with a battering ram on both disasters to knock them into the ropes. They then Irish whip Typhoon into Earthquake to knock him out of the ring and goes for the cover on Typhoon for a two count. On the outside, Quake with a backbreaker on Butch and then gets back into the ring to hit an avalanche splash on the back of Luke. The tremors start up before an earthquake splash for the pin and, and the, the win. win. I was very excited that the Bushwhackers didn't win. Were you worried what? a little bit? I don't know that I could worry about any of these men outside of Vondre in this situation. So post-match, the disasters are yelling at Andre... When who comes out? L-O-D. The disasters roll back into the ring and are surrounded by L-O-D and the Bushwhackers, but they quickly realize that they're at a disadvantage and escape to the back. L-O-D's, I mean, obviously, L-O-D came out because their faces somehow, you're wearing spikes and face paint, but I guess Demolition was also phased at some point too, and they looked like, well, they're out there to stand up for Andre. Yeah, but... I mean, that's what they're really out there because Andre legit needs those crutches. Those are work, those are shoot crutches. Yes, as this would be Andre's last pay-per-view appearance. When does he pass away? The show was in August. He would pass away by January of the next year. Oh, okay. So, yeah, even sooner than I had thought. Yeah. We then see Bobby the Brain Heenan walking in the back towards Hulk's locker room. He knocks on it. The door opens. We don't see anybody inside the room. Yeah. But we see the big gold belt. I know. I lost my shit. I was like, is that big gold? Is that big gold? And they're not really putting it over like you would assume they would. So I feel like there's not a deal through yet. And the Brain says, on behalf of the real, real. world champion, Rick Flair, I would like to challenge you, Hogan, at any time, any place. Oh my God. The door is slammed shut, and we go back to Grill and Piper who are laughing at Bobby. But the real fact of the matter yeah. is 
they don't put over the Ric Flair thing at all. They say his name a few times in the show, and it's like kind of no big deal. Like they're just teasing actual wrestling nerds, but they they should be putting it over. But I assume maybe they don't have a contract with Flair yet, like a solid one. Yeah, they do. They then why are they not using this? I, is this a tease? This tease I, is this tease is still very subtle, considering. Doesn't it I know, still I'm feel a like, little too subtle? Like, if you just show up with the belt and you don't say Ric Flair's name, yeah. then that's a tease. But you have the belt and you say his name. I would so it's al- like, yeah. I would also put say, him over. on a show that has no feuds, no hot, good, or interesting feuds, and you put the, like, you put one of the, the guys that had one of the most iconic matches in your company at this point in the first match coming back after so long. And then the second match is easily the best match on the show. Spoiler alert. And you change a title and are like creating, there's no like, and you have this Ric Flair deal. Do you have big gold there? And like, you should be making a fucking mess of this. This should be the thing is anchored on. Agreed. As opposed to Hogan and warrior fighting slaughter Again, yeah, it's yeah, wild. It's it blew my, it blew my fucking mind. We then see Savage in his locker room on the phone, and Monsoon explains that he's talking on the one nine hundred hotline that wrestling fans can call and talk yeah. to wrestlers. We then go to the locker room. Sean Mooney's there with the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Sensational Sherry, and Mooney can't help but recall some of the humiliating services that DiBiase forced Virgil to perform while a video plays showing some of those actions. Toe fungus cleaning. That's pretty rough. Million Dollar Man says, you see that look of humiliation on Virgil's face? Well, that look is minute by comparison to the humiliation that you're going to suffer tonight. Just reiterating, they're only continuing feuds that have already been finished. We're going to Million Dollar Man and Virgil again, which I'm happy to see again because I'm still, I'm still, I still had a good time, uh, and I'm, I'm here for it again. But no new feuds, and they are like softball lob pitching this Ric Flair shit, mind blowing. He continues, but to show I'm not a totally insensitive man, I have left you with a one small token, and Sherry hands him a towel. You're crying, crying Yeah. I'm glad that Sherry, because Macho's retired now. Yeah. Sherry's got to go somewhere. Sherry, Sherry and Million Dollar Man seems like a, a solid combination. Agree. So we're headed off to our fourth match. The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, with Sensational Sherry. With versus... a crying towel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> versus Virgil. For the Million Dollar Championship. And this is the first time we've seen the Million Dollar Championship defended? Yeah, it wasn't actually a sanctioned belt. Yeah, so it's not really defended. It's like for the possession of... Yeah. Which I... Yeah. I mean, which I guess is kind of like any other belt. But like, this is just like... This is just... You know, Ted DiBiase has a million dollar belt because he's a million dollar prick. So he has a million dollar belt to like be like I'm rich and I've been you're a piece of shit and talk shit to all the fucking wrestling fans being doing rich guy stuff. 
So the champion comes out first. Crazy, huh? Foreshadowing. Ah, man. Why do they do that? Why do they do that? It's so wild. It's so wild to me that you would, like, that you've done something so stupid so consistently that everybody knows what that means now. It's crazy. So Virgil attacks Million Dollar Man as soon as he gets in the ring. Irish whip followed by a back body drop. Multiple clotheslines to send DiBiase to the floor. Virgil heads outside, slamming Million Dollar Man's head on the apron. The steel steps before rolling him back in. Starts throwing jabs with some fancy footwork. Yep, some some uh, throwing back to the the first match they had. And what's the reason for this match? We just need, we're doing it again. Yeah, they're just still feuding. Yeah, it is nice to have Piper on commentary cheering for Virgil. It's also I love. I mean, technically Virgil didn't get a clean victory. He got a countout victory at yeah, WrestleMania. That's true. That's very true. The I love how how over Virgil is. The crowd fucking loves him. Yeah, and I love him too, and I appreciate all of that. DiBiase tries to fire back with a roundhouse right, but Virgil ducks and delivers an atomic drop to send Million Dollar Man over the ropes and back to the floor. So Virgil's disqualified. Oh wait, this is WWF. <laughs> that rule doesn't apply. It's like wait, what? What? I just know what says in my notes. You're just trying to piss me off. <laughs> We're not we're not watching WCW right now. We just did like five WCW shows in a row, and you're trying to bring up the shit that makes my fucking blood boil. The brain is then shown making his way back to the commentary booth. Virgil attempts a plancha, but DiBiase moves as Heenan starts explaining his actions in the back. Million Dollar Man throws Virgil into the steel steps, slams his head on those steps, gives him chops, rolls him back into the ring hitting a clothesline, several falling fists, and goes to the second rope, coming off with a double axe handle. Continuing the attack with more chops, an Irish whip, a back body drop for a two count. Virgil's tossed to the ropes and ducks a clothesline, and then turns and locks on the million dollar dream. Oh, it doesn't look good, but it does feel nice. Sherry rolls into the ring and clobbers Virgil over the head with her purse. So the bell rings... And the ref is explaining to Fink, who makes the announcement, the referee has every right to disqualify the Million Dollar Man for outside interference. However, the referee has rendered an official decision as follows. One, he is ordering Sensational Sherry be returned to her dressing room now or face suspension. And two, he has further ruled that the match between Million Dollar Man and Virgil will continue you know it'd be really funny if for people to it would have been a really good sign that i could have made in 1991 if i was at this show if ted dibiase is the million dollar man then like you know the then calling sherry the thousand dollar woman would be uh, a pretty fun little (laughs) dig (laughs) like i mean like yeah i think that i mean that's yeah that's funny and good because it's like, why is she so sensational, Sherry? She should have another name. It's like, well, the thousand dollar woman is like pretty fucking mean, <laughs> like because you can't call her the million dollar woman, and otherwise, you know, because she's still, you know, the manager. But thousand dollars is still like, it's like, yeah, I mean, I'll take a thousand dollars any day of the week, but yeah. by no means is it is it really gonna make my life any better. Like, you know, <laughs> in the long term, it's not gonna change my life. 
So the $1,000 woman, Sherry Martell. So the officials come down to ringside to take Sherry back to the locker room. Both men are back to their feet when DiBiase goes for head slams into the turnbuckle. But Virgil blocks and reverses for a 10 count of head slams. Hell yes. Virgil's firing away with chops and jabs. Irish whips Million Dollar Man hard into the corner, followed by mounted punches. Goes for another Irish whip that is reversed, which sends Virgil into the ref. Ref bump. DiBiase starts yelling at Roddy, hits multiple vertical suplexes. A pile driver. Goes for the cover on Virgil, but the ref is still out of it. Million Dollar Man then kicks the ref to knock him back down. Proceeds to take the turnbuckle pad off of one of the corners. Picks Virgil up and starts taunting him. Goes for the head slam into the turnbuckle. But Virgil blocks and reverses to slam DiBiase's head into the exposed steel multiple times. Both men are down. Virgil crawls over on top of Million Dollar Man as the ref makes the count. For the pin. And And the win. win. And new. And and second. And second, correct. (laughs) I'm really curious to see the lineage of the Million Dollar Belt. Is this... Is Virgil the only other person to carry it? I don't know. No, he is not. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I won't tell you who else. Is no, in no, it. I don't want. I don't want to know. I don't. But there are still others. That's fun and interesting. What an ugly belt! Is it the ugliest belt? I actually like the million dollar belt. I mean, it's cool, but like, it's cool because it's like so ugly and like opulent and like this, like you know, this unnecessary. Just a bunch of dollar signs on a belt seems kind of fun to me. Yeah, I, it just it looks so sharp, and I mean it's because you know it's all jewels and stuff, so it looks like it looks like like pixel art almost. <laughs> we then go to the back. Mean Jeans there with the Mountie and some correctional officers from the NYCPD, and Gene then sends us to a video where we see Big Boss Man handcuffed to the ropes, and the Mountie uses his cattle prod on him, while the Nasty Boys look on. Mountie then tells us. After I win this match, I don't want you guys to do it New York style. I want you to do Mountie style justice, dragging him through the halls. Is our Mounties known to be more violent than New York cops? Because that sounds no. pretty wild to me. Because <laughs> I've no. watched a lot of movies about New York cops, and uh, you know they're never painted in in a particularly good light. They're, even the ones you like in the in the movie or the television show are still somewhat crooked. We then go to Sean Mooney, who's with Big Boss Man, and Boss Man tells us he shouldn't be talking to New York's finest. He should be praying to the man upstairs that he makes it through until tomorrow. And he's going to spend a long, hard night in jail. So we're off to our fifth match. The Mountie with Jimmy Hart versus Big Boss Man in a jailhouse match. And what is a jailhouse match? Whoever loses the match yeah, they go goes to jail. to jail for the oh. night. Yeah, which is very funny and probably not all that bad. It's like, oh, you're just going to take a nap and eat a bologna sandwich? Whatever. So the story behind this match was to determine who the real law and order in the WWF was. Yeah. Mm, cool. <laughs> it's really upsetting because I, like I like the Rougeos. The Mountie not so much? I mean, good for him. I'm glad he's getting paid. But, you know, I'd rather see him in a cool tag match against the 
Oh, what is it? The bees. I like the bees. What are the bees' names? B. Brian Blair and the other guy. Yeah, but what was the name of their tag team? Oh, the Killer Bees. The Killer Bees. Yeah, I like the Killer Bees. I like the Rougeaus from that time period. I'd rather see Blair and and uh, is this the Jacques? Is this Jacques? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, who knows where Raymond is? He's doing French commentary for WWF now. Oh, good for him. Stay paid. He's doing what he can with the Mountie. It was just a bad idea in the first place. So Mountie's running his mouth. So Big Boss Man just slaps him. And the two start trading punches until Boss Man hits a back elbow and a splash for a two count. Headbutts, guillotine splash on the middle rope. And Big Boss Man looks to go for a second one. But Mountie moves. So Boss Man slides to the outside to chase Jimmy Hart off to the other side of the ring. Mountie with an eye rake goes to the second rope for a double axe handle, but Big Boss Man catches him and hits a spine buster. He doesn't get the full spine buster no. from you? No. That's only for double A? Only for people that I like. <laughs> I guess I you're, mean, not from Cal- you're not from Cobb County, Georgia? I mean, I like Boss Man. He just, I don't like him enough to give him the spine buster treatment. No, no. He didn't deserve it. The spine buster didn't look that I mean, it looks fine. It's not... He's the big boss man. He's nobody's favorite wrestler. Boss man slaps on the dreaded reverse chin lock. Hart jumps on the apron <laughs> to cause big boss man to begin stalking him around ringside, allowing the Mountie to hit him from behind to send him into the steel steps. Mountie rolls boss man back in the ring, hits a flying back elbow, several falling fists. Irish whips him hard into the corner and a body slam for a two count. Big Boss Man reverses an Irish whip and charges in, but Mountie moves, so Boss Man goes crashing into the corner. Mountie stays on the attack with a snapmare, multiple elbow drops, a drop kick, goes for the cover, but Big Boss Man kicks out, sending the Mountie through the ropes to the floor. Mountie then drags Boss Man to the apron to deliver an elbow to the throat. Once back in, Big Boss Man starts firing back with right hands, but the Mountie bites Boss Man's head and hits a pile driver. The Mountie then signals Jimmy to do something, so we see Jimmy jump up on the apron to distract the ref, allowing the Mountie to grab his cattle prod, where he goes to zap Bossman, but he rolls out of the way and delivers a right hand to knock the Mountie down. Bossman's tossed to the ropes, Mountie with a leapfrog, Big Bossman slides under another leapfrog and delivers an uppercut, then tosses the Mountie to the ropes, hitting the Boss Man Slam for the pin. And the, and the no! Mountie no? kicks out. Oh my god. Mountie then trips up Big Boss Man, looks to hit another pile driver. But Boss Man picks Mountie up to hit an Alabama Slam for the pin. And the, and win. the win. What Cobb County, Georgia. You shouldn't be winning with an Alabama Slam. Come on. Come on. Gotta have a... Gotta have a Georgia slam. Yeah. Going back a little bit, they show the, like, the package for this. Yeah. And uh, when he's um, using the cattle prod or the whatever on Boss Man, the like, super added in sound of him, of like electricity is very funny. Yeah. But more seriously and pertinent to the match we just watched, the way Boss Man sells that pile driver, that like first pile driver where he does uh-huh. like, he like throws his neck back like in a convulsing thing uh, was very nice and fun. And I liked that. Yeah, and very good. that's my favorite thing about the whole match, I think, was the way he sold that pile driver. So post-match, Jimmy Hart takes off running. 
while Bossman calls out the correctional officers who handcuff the Mountie and lead him to the back. They place him in a paddy wagon and take him off to jail. This show, only eight matches. Granted, there is a wedding ceremony, but it still could have been ten if we didn't take the Mountie to jail. (laughs) Yes. Just saying. And, okay, well, I'm not going to say that just yet. But I'm thinking about this Ric Flair thing. 90-day no-compete clause. 90-day no-compete compete clause. He can't be on TV, right? I don't know if they had the no-compete clauses back then. I mean, because, imagine because remember, there's got to be something. remember Dusty, Dusty was in the, uh, at the Royal Rumble, and then literally 30 days later, he was on commentary for WCW. Yeah, but Dusty's not... I mean, Dusty is not... No, not throwing any shade. Dusty is not Ric Flair. Ric Flair's got more money and like ted turner got fired he got fired fired oh fuck okay maybe they i mean if they didn't yeah i was just thinking like the 90 day clause and like yeah but like who knows i mean who knows this independent contractor thing is should not be should not be a wrestling thing since vince mcmahon basically ruined the territories it made sense in territory days completely but after that when you're working for I literally company. don't think the non-complete clause really came into effect until the late 90s. Really? Yeah. When when everybody started signing exclusive contracts. Yeah. I'm just like, why? I can't. It's hard for me to believe this Ric Flair angle that is just like so squandered. I'm going to be, it's going to be really interesting when they fuck this up. <laughs> and I don't know how it goes down, but like I'm legitimately intrigued. And it's really all I can think about right now. But if you've been listening... You understand why I'm thinking about it so much, because this show is a show. So we go to the locker room, Mean Gene's there, when DiBiase and Sherry storm in, a million dollar man basically complains about the referee and how Virgil should have been disqualified and the match shouldn't have happened. Why should it? Is he talking about the over the top rope? Is that why Virgil should have been disqualified? I mean, because technically he should have been disqualified. Yeah, because okay. Sherry hit. Is DiBiase a Crockett man in his younger <laughs> years? Where was he? Where, like you know, where was he before? He was a Watts. He was a Watts guy. Before oh, so he's yeah. He was an Oklahoma boy. Yeah, Oklahoma and probably North Texas, I'd imagine. Yeah, I would love to see some of that stuff, or just like have a really cool old match card of like junkyard dog is champion in like oklahoma city that just thinking about that makes my heart grow two sizes too big maybe i can buy one off jim Cornette. he's gotta have it sean mooney's then in the back with the new intercontinental champion brett hitman hart and hart lets us know that the excellence of execution was able to teach mr perfect that perfect wasn't good enough i think what he should have said is to teach mr perfect the perfect lesson. You can't mess with excellence. Mean Jeans then with the natural disasters and Jimmy Hart. And Hart's yelling about getting, my, getting his lawyers on the phone because the Mountie was ripped off. But then Earthquake adds, LOD, you're the ones who stuck your nose in our business. It was our match. We had the problem with Andre the Giant. And you prevented us from getting him. You are history. Second best angle to come out of this show. Is the natural disasters in LOD, right? Yeah. I mean, I, that, I'm like, I want to see that. Why not? I would prefer to see it 
in a in in WCW than in WWF, just because I know the type of match they'll have. I will say, you know that I've talked quite a bit of shit on Jimmy Hart, and I know you like Jimmy Hart, and everybody likes Jimmy Hart, but this show, I found Jimmy Hart pitch perfect, like where I'm like, okay, I'm I've. I always understood what he was doing, but here I'm like, okay, I'm appreciating what he's doing now. I feel like he's had a great performance. He has a great performance on this whole show. Yeah. Yeah. I did. There's just something. He's just a little bit more focused and less abrasive, but still gets the point across. And maybe on shows where nothing happens, you notice other things. But I noticed that, that Jimmy Hart was somebody that I had a good time with on this show we go back to mooney who's with big boss man now and boss man tells us what kind of bird can't fly a jail bird and that's That's exactly that's exactly what the mountie is now i and the law and order of the wwf mean gene then walks into savage's locker room where macho man's still on the phone and gene was going to ask him some questions, but since he's on the phone, he didn't want to interrupt him. So he's like, well, I guess I'll go next door to talk to Miss Elizabeth. But Savage all of a sudden stops and tells him not to bother her. Art imitating life. But then Gene (laughs) sends us off to intermission, and we get the SummerSlam opening logo playing again before returning us to Gorilla, Bobby, and Piper. Yeah. And they, they start talking about the upcoming matches and review what we've seen so far. Gorilla sends us to the jailhouse where we see the officers drag the Mountie out of the paddy wagon and into the jailhouse. Yeah, it's it is kind of one of the first things that feels very attitude era that we've seen. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not it just feels like wasted time. It's like because I don't care. Like maybe yeah, I... you know, maybe the Mountie like was in my town and I like was a little kid a... and he pissed me off. But how can you be that mad at camp? You gotta, it's gotta be meaner and scarier and weirder than that. Here's the thing. The, they, they cut back to a scene with the Mountie pretty much after every match from here oh, on out. I'm well aware. And I've the done the only, homework. the only ones, the only ones that are like worth anything is like when he first gets thrown into the paddy wagon and the very last one that we'll see yeah. here in a little bit. That's true. The, rest the of other them... ones are just a waste of fucking time. Exactly. We then go to Sean Mooney in the locker room with the nasty boys and Jimmy Hart. Hart's still crying over the Mountie. But Nob says, no more crying, no more whining. It's just you against us, talking about Legion of Doom. And then Mooney stops Hart from leaving and says... There's an update from the jail sending us there once again Ugh. where they're taking a booking photo and Jimmy continues to go crazy about how it's an invasion of privacy to take yeah. a picture. Yeah, he's so good here. Uh, I do love that the Nasties are going to take Legion of Doom to Nastyville. Nastyville is just fun. Speaking of Legion Doom, they're in the back with Mean Gene. An animal says that we saw the natural disasters trying to jump Andre, so we thought we would even up the odds. So that's why they went out there to help out. And then Hawk. Well, it seems to me that it seems to me 
that the natural disasters have just bitten off a little bit more than they can chew. Somewhere down the line, I'm sure we'll be in the ring with you. And when we get done chewing you, we'll spit you out like that stinking bad tartar that was stuck to our teeth. But first and foremost on our minds, our rotten minds, is the Nasty Boys and the Tag Team Titles. You see, when we get done with the Nasty Boys, we're going to call them Plastic Boys. You see, there's boys, there's men, and there's monsters. Oh, what a rush! <laughs> the boys, men, and monsters line is really good. And that first, when he opens the promo, he says, well, it seems to me that it seems to be. It's like, oh, like, what is that, Shakespeare? <laughs> Come on, right? It seems to me that it seems to be sounds like the beginning of a, a song that I like, a poem, probably just about like any cool early 80s rap song. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get sent back to the jailhouse as the officers are trying to take the fingerprints of the Mountie. And though I did mention oh, that. Oh, no, not not his fingerprints. <laughs> That's my Jimmy Hart. The Mountie said, this is my favorite line of the entire of this entire thing. So I was wrong about just the last one being the best. Yeah, the last. The this best, this one this one's pretty good. Best and worst. The bounty says, "You want a finger? I'll give you a finger." And then he flips <laughs> off the officers. Yeah, that's it. Also, kind of the most attitude era thing, and it'll be even more so era vibes later. But like a middle finger. We haven't really got any a lot of curse words on any of these shows or anything, and then. Like, you know, there's some, like, sexual innuendo. We then go to the back. or well, we're already in the back. Because this is just the we're run here. of... We're in the run of uh, promos here. They that run of, This run of promos is laughably long. It's, it's laugh like, Mean Gene, Sean Moody, Mean Gene, Sean Moody, Mean Gene, Sean Moody, Mean Gene, Sean Moody. Like, I'm it's gonna, legitimate. I'm going to admit right here, it kind of kills the momentum of the show for me. Yeah. This show is kind of wild. Yeah. <laughs> Just in general. But, like, yeah, it's like, okay. And then they come back to, well, we'll, we'll just just get a, go on your promo run. So Mooney's there with Slaughter, Adnan, and Colonel Mustafa. And Mooney says something about them being outnumbered. But it's a three-on-two match, so Slaughter tells him that they won't be outnumbered. So I don't really know what Mooney was talking about. Yeah, I figured Adnan was just going to be a manager. But no, it's a full-on handicap match. So then Slaughter says, look at the ultimate puke. He still looks a little snake bit to me. And the immortal slime Hulk Hogan got a gash in his head. Lost about six gallons of blood. In fact, it looks like it's going to be a little easier than we thought. Man, I forgot about that blood. That was nice. It's so nice to see a little bit of blood in this era of WWF because it kind of means something. We then go to Gene, who's with Sid Justice. And, of course, Sid Justice is the former Sid Vicious from WCW. Yes. And, like, was he on television before this? Yeah, I, I think he had shown up one time on television. Yeah. He's a special referee, so it's like, oh, you can't just have him, you know. He looks way huge. Yeah, 
He does. Like, yeah, like, you know, I was talking about, like, oh, British Bulldog leveled up since we've seen him, and uh, Sid Vicious here uh, makes... I can't believe they put him in the same ring as Hulk Hogan because he makes Hulk Hogan look Hulk really not that beefy. Yeah, yeah, he makes Hulk Hogan look small. It's like, Vicious has the largest, most bulbous traps I've seen in to this point in wrestling, you know, watching chronologically. So we definitely need a trap spot on him. Yeah. And the trap spot better be done by somebody that's like, maybe like, a, like, a, well, obviously it can't be done at the moment, but a, like a Rick Steiner. I, then I'd believe the trap spot on Sid Vicious. It's got to be like kind of a not as tall, like beefy, you know, street fighting man. Sid lets us know that he's a man that stands alone, so quit asking where he stands. But then Gene sends it to a video from earlier in the day, and it shows Justice conversing with Slaughter and company. And Sid says, I didn't promise them anything. Because basically the storyline was, yeah, will he, he, is, is he going to call it down the middle? or Is, is he, he going to be a heel? Is he going to be a face? Is kind of the thing, because he's new to the company. And I guess that's kind of the biggest story of the whole show. It's like, is he going to be a heel? Is he going to be a face? Because outside of that, Slaughter versus Hogan and Warrior is that interesting to me it's personally. About six months too late. We already did it. Yeah. We did it, and the and Hogan won. He bled, and he won. Yep. And they don't have another person for him to fight. I guess that's why Sid's here. So we finally get to our sixth match. The Nasty Boys of Jerry Sags and Brian Knobs with Jimmy Hart versus Legion of Doom of Hawk and Animal in a street fight for the WWF Tag Team Championship. So, no DQ. Correct. Legion of... They've always been Legion of Doom and the Road Warriors at the same time, and now they're just the Legion of Doom. I always get... Yeah, they don't really ever names. call them. They don't really ever call them the Road Warriors in WWF. No, but they would I call didn't. them both in WCW. Yeah, it's like that's so weird. I think uh, I mean Road Warriors is obviously ripped off of uh, an incredible movie, but Legion, Legion of Doom, Doom is, is a, ripped off of DC Comics. Oh yeah, good point. I would say that they definitely are more Road Warrior than they are Legion of Doom. I believe so. Yeah. LOD attacks the Nasty Boys immediately, sending them to the outside. The Road Warriors follow out to continue the attack before Animal and Knobs roll back into the ring while Hawk and Sags are still brawling on the outside. Animal is tossed to the ropes, ducks a Brian clothesline, and comes back to hit a powerbomb. Goes for the cover, but Jerry breaks it up. Hawk hits an enziguri on Sags, a flying shoulder tackle, and another broken up cover by Knobs. Hawk is working over both nasty boys until Jimmy Hart tosses a can of mace into Jerry, who sprays it into the Road Warriors' eyes for the boys to take control. The ref keeps getting Animal out of the ring when he comes in to save Hawk, but hey. DQ match. Why is he even listening? Why? It should be, it's a brawl at that point. There's no tags. There's a couple of things I'd like to say before I forget. Champs out first. Right? You are right. The champion did Champs out first. Foreshadowing. Yes. When I noticed that, I heard you say foreshadowing in my mind. The thing that I really loved is there was a lady that had taken 
Cabbage Patch Kids and cosplayed them as the Nasty Boys. There's Nasty Boys <laughs> fans out there. Did you see that? I did. I love. I just loved that because I love it when people care about a thing so much that they want to do it, especially like in like '91. It's like it's different. It's different, and it's a Cabbage Patch Kid too, which like you know, those are also a thing that's forgotten. So it's like oh, two things forgotten at the time smashed together on television in '99. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like nobody gives a fuck about the Nasty Boys. 2020. I mean, I appreciate them. But I'm not thinking about the Nasty Boys on a regular basis. No, I'm definitely or not. Or Cabbage Patch Kids. And here they are together from somebody who loves at least one of those things. She might have just stole the dolls from her children. Hawk rolls out to the floor. Jerry follows out and finds, a, and finds a beer vendor's container and smashes it across the Road Warrior's back. Yeah, it's like a bus tub. Like yeah. a restaurant bus tub with like sodas in it. And it's really funny. Back in the ring, the Nasty Boys with a double-team big boot. Knobs taunts Animal and then runs to the ropes to make the ref get Animal out. Again, it's no, no disqualification. They, it'd be different if they didn't say that. And they're like, well, we can't really... Like, you can just have a tag match and you can have one ref and the ref handle LOD and the Nasty Boys. So some shit flies. And I'm fine with that. But you can't advertises an ODQ. Yeah. And then it, like and then do this. It was so dumb. I, I hate when they do stuff like this. Yeah. Both boys take their turn at choking Hawk, knobs stomping away at him, forcing him to roll to the outside, where Sags continues the attack by slamming Hawk's head on the steel steps. Brian comes off the apron with a double axe handle to the floor on the Road Warrior. Back in the ring, Hawk begins to fire back but is caught with a head slam into a turnbuckle by Sags. Knobs with the back elbow, more head slams into turnbuckles. The Nasty Boys then Irish whip Hawk to a corner and then Irish whip themselves in for a splash. Sags goes up to the top rope, coming off with an elbow drop. Goes for the cover, but Animal makes the save. Knobs then comes off the second rope with a splash, but Hawk gets a boot up into Brian's chin. Crawls to the corner for the... Animal going crazy on both boys with clotheslines, mounted punches on knobs, a double axe handle on sags, power slam on Brian, goes for the cover, but Jerry Mm -hmm. makes the save. Mm -hmm. All four men are now brawling in the ring before sags tosses Hawk to the outside. The nasty boys are double teaming Animal. Jimmy Hart tosses the motorcycle helmet to Jerry, goes to hit the held road warrior, but Animal moves. And usually that would mean that Brian would get hit. Stags <laughs> catches himself and then just hits Animal in the back. Elbow drop by... Spot? The best spot in the entire match? <laughs> I yes. mean, yeah. Outside yes, of, like, is. these guys actually doing, like, big, strong moves and hurting each other, but, like, the most interesting, I guess, would be the correct... Cor- more correct term. Elbow drop by Knobs goes for the cover, but Animal kicks out, sending Brian through the ropes to the floor. Sags picks up the attack while Hawk makes his way around the outside, kicks Jimmy Hart to take the helmet, and blasts Knobs across the head with it before jumping up to the apron. Animal tosses Jerry to the ropes where Hawk hits him over the head with the helmet as well. Animal then picks him up into the electric chair. Hawk comes off the top rope for the doomsday device 
for the pin uh, and the win. The, win. the uh, that doomsday de- device is kind of nasty. I mean, it always it's always nasty, but this one looked pretty gross. Oh, was it Hawk that had that was the 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 bottom? Yeah, yeah. He like he throws him back with the thing, but it just looks like oh, I feel like he'd rather take the forearm and fall back slower as he. He really did kind of whip him back. You know what's weird about this match? What is weird about this match? That nobody seems to fucking care. It, it, gets a, it gets a little bit hotter later, but like the crowd is not as hot as I would have assumed. Maybe it's because it's two new, two things that are new-ish to the WWF that are not WWF. The crowd just basically sat through 20 minutes of nothing happening in the ring as well. Yeah, but they, they, wouldn't that make this more exciting? Look how badass fucking these dudes are fighting these like TV repairman schlubs. And I mean, before that's the Mountie and Big Boss Man. Like, come on. This show, like, yeah, we'll get to it later. It is paced terribly. I agree completely. I still... Justice for Steamboat. Maybe Steamboat would have fucking stuck around if they put him in a match. That's it, just a match. a match in a match. That was a six-man. Unless it's Survivor Series, there's no six-man matches in WWF at this point in time. There was on this show. Yeah, yeah. I watched it. I watched it, and it, yeah, and it was very, very good, and I liked it a lot. And it was a very high bar to start the show with, followed by an incredibly high bar. So this victory would make the Roy- Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, even... And, and you. It's going to be really fun to listen to this back where we're like not in sync with that. Normally we're pretty good at it. <laughs> so the Road Warriors become the first team to have won tag team gold in the WWF, the NWA, and, and, the, and the AWA. Hell yeah. Correct. Did we watched we watched some AWA shows with uh, LOD, right? Nope, they weren't on the AWA show that we watched. Oh, uh, we only watched the Super Clashes. Yep. I was thinking of the Great American Bashes where it's like the weird long tours in the middle of like baseball stadiums. No, that's NWA. God. It's weird because like that LOD is so cool. And this LOD, I'm kind of over. And they're still cool. And they were like even cool, but like it's like, oh, that like grimy like 80. 85, 86 LOD is so cool. They're still coming out to Iron Man. It is awesome. So we go back to the jail where we see the Mountie being placed into a cell. We then get an ad for Survivor Series 1991 with narration from Vince McMahon. Excited for that one, Survivor Series? Honestly, I'm kind of interested in what the fuck it could possibly be with all of these roster changes and things. (laughs) Like, I don't even, like, it could be actually interesting, or it could be absolutely horrendous. But, like, where where are the rockers? That's a good question. Where the fuck are the rockers? Where the fuck is uh, The Undertaker? It's a good question as well. Like, holy shit. There's, it feels like stuff is missing, and it's going to feel a lot more missing when we get into our seventh match. Of Erwin R. Shyster versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. That's so IRS. IRS. 
IRS is Mike Rotunda. And the last time we saw him was as Michael Wall Street at Starcade 1990, Mm. which was episode 51. You know what's crazy? The Michael Wall Street Wall Street gimmick? So much better than IRS gimmick. Really? Yeah, the computer thing's fun. It's fun. And you have like your like, you know, like sexy manager and like you can work a match and you have like a good excuse to do your like heel thing and roll out and like check the computer and like and and get heat for like slowing the match down and stuff. I like that. I have no interest in somebody getting mad at people. Vince McMahon must think that his fans are smarter than they are. Because <laughs> like who's, who's no? That's the problem with that's the problem with Vince. He thinks they're all dumb. Yeah, and but doesn't like, well, treat them like smart fans. Yeah, I know, and that's why this IRS thing. It's like who gives a shit about this IRS character? Like, was there something going on culturally at the time that I wasn't aware of? No, it's just it's just an extension, basically, of the Wall Street character. Yeah, but it's not. But it's a bad version of it. I think that he'd be better off here as the as uh, Tugboat Junior. <laughs> as, as Captain Mike Rotunda. Tugboat. <laughs> Captain Mike. Captain Mike and Tugboat. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> Who cares? It's better than IRS. IRS sucks. But IRS takes the mic and he says, when it, when it comes to paying taxes, you all have become a bunch of finger pointers and crybabies. It's time to stop crying and start paying yeah and it's what that's why i was like is there some kind of issue going on at this point in time about like is there a like tax conversation happening like in the news and in like the zeitgeist or everybody kind of pays their taxes people don't so people get caught and it is what it is it's just if you told me right now that you've never paid taxes in your life i don't give a shit matt you do you. I don't care. Like, I would be like, hey, I really hope that it doesn't come back to bite you. But, you know, good for you. Keep your money. Whatever. So maybe, like, I just don't understand why IRS would be a heel. Because everyone hates the IRS. Nobody even thinks about the IRS. That's not true. So the no. two men keep locking up. And as soon as Valentine gets an advantage, IRS backs up to slow it down. The hammer hits a hip toss and a clothesline, and IRS rolls to the outside. Back in, Shyster finally gets on the offense with a knee lift, goes for a back body drop, but Valentine turns it into a sunset flip for a two count, followed by a body slam, and again, IRS rolls to the outside, but the hammer follows out to deliver some more blows before rolling him back in. The hammer's dad energy increases every time we see him on a pay-per-view. I do love that. I do love his new trunk. Just say the hammer on it. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool, man. Like, that's good. You need to be doing this to like attempt to get yourself over. Because like he's just not that kind of guy. He should just be a JCP. He should just be. Yeah. I feel like he, Greg Valentine, in a perfect world, would be like a four horseman lifer. Right. That's the kind of energy he has. Eh. I mean, I don't think I don't think he's I'm that good. Saying that he's better than Arn Anderson, but I'm saying that like you know, with with a little bit of love, get a little bit more out of him. IRS takes advantage as Valentine rolls in, then locks on an ab stretch using ropes for leverage, 
until the ref catches him, and the hammer hip-tosses Shyster. Goes for a knee drop, the IRS moves and delivers a clothesline and an elbow drop for a two-count. Shyster locks on a reverse chin lock, hits a backbreaker, goes up to the top rope, but is taking his time, giving the hammer time to get up to press slam IRS to the mat. Chops, punches, Valentine goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, and Shyster charges in with a knee, but the hammer is moved and starts working on the leg. Valentine, with an elbow drop, goes for the figure four, but IRS makes it to the ropes. The hammer rips Shyster off the ropes, goes for an elbow drop, but IRS moves and tries for the roundhouse right, which Valentine ducks, hitting a shinbreaker, a headbutt to the groin, and goes for the figure four again, but IRS cradles him into a small package for the pin and the win. There's some interesting things in here. Bobby Heenan at one point, the figure four versus the W4, which is very funny. I can't believe that IRS is wrestling in a shirt and suspenders and pants. That's pretty wild. Greg Valentine, it kind of makes sense that he got rolled up because he does do that figure four early on. And then he like calls for the figure four and like doesn't do it and like works the leg and then calls for the figure four and doesn't do it again. And then when he doesn't, doesn't call for it, but locks it on and then gets rolled up like a kind of where they were trying to do but you know there's no storyline here this just feels like a random match yeah this is just a match basically to put irs over as he's on the way up and valentine's yeah. on his way down there's a moment in here where uh gorilla monsoon says some uh stupid shit that all love where he talks about like anatomy that doesn't exist <laughs> where he says the collateral lateral ligaments He's like, oh, that's really stretching the collateral lateral ligaments. And uh, Roddy kind of calls him on it and says, damn, the collateral laterals. And like, I fucking popped hard for that because it's like the collateral lateral ligaments is what Grillamon said. And Roddy Piper is like, oh, damn, those? Like just talking shit to him. <laughs> and, it's, and it was probably one of the better moments of this match, honestly. And I like Greg Valentine. I just wish that Greg Valentine was like in the right place at the right time. But he just it doesn't. He's not very charismatic. No, he's at all. Like he feels like if he's like a seventies wrestling man, and he no, that's totally what he is. He need yeah, but like, and obviously he was probably wrestling in the seventies, but he didn't change with the times. And honestly, that he has made it as far as he has into the nineties. Kind of wild. He's here. Maybe the Undertaker is hurt for the second time, or I guess the first time because he just showed up. But where's the Undertaker? On Michaels. Where's Marty Jannetty? Where's Where's a lot of people? Jesus. <laughs> All right. So we see another ad for that Hulk Hogan pay per view that we're not going to cover, and then yeah. we go to the back with Hogan and Ultimate Warrior. They're there with Mean Gene. Hogan actually brings up his first title win all the way back in 1984 in this very building and how it changed the course of wrestling history, which I was like, WWF is bringing up wrestling history. I was like, yeah, super shocked. I mean, is it, I think Piper brings up that, that Mustafa, he doesn't say that he's iron cheek, but he's like, 
says like, oh, he won the belt from that man there or whatever, yeah. like in in that match. And I'm like, oh, like how is anybody? And we didn't have the internet and stuff, and not everybody's following. Like, so I get that people don't know who he is, but in hindsight, it's like that's the fucking Iron Cheek. <laughs> like, like yeah, you can give him a different name, but that's still the man that Hulk that started Hulkamania, that allowed Hulkamania to happen. Well, the, he could have broke his leg. He could have broke his leg. The whole reason they gave him a new gimmick was because Iron Sheik is Iranian, and Iranian and Iraqi supporters wouldn't join up, so they put him as Colonel Mustafa. And, yeah. Which I'm just like, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's good to see him. I like the Sheik. He's fun. But then we get a warrior promo, and those are always our funnest segments of any show. Oh, yeah. And Warrior Not goes... the best moments, but th- th- some very fun ones. Are we loaded down, Hulkster? Loaded down, ready to go down into the pit. One, One strike. strike from a Cobra is not enough to hold back. The force of Hulkamania and the power of Warrior Wildness. We will not come by tank or by air, but we'll walk side by side and leave four footsteps behind as all the warriors and Hulkamaniacs jumped on our backs. Prepare yourselves to go down to the coup of warrior wildness and Hulkamania. We walk in this battle to leave as we walk in as the same. It's very good, and this one makes way more sense than some other warrior promos we've seen. I really like the part where, you know, he's leaving footsteps in the sand because Warrior's always been walking with me. They're all my troubles. When I've been in my lowest, staring into the ocean, walking down the beach by myself, there was four footsteps behind, and two of them belonged to a man named Helwig. (laughs) (laughs) The Warrior Jesus shit is so good. He never really does it, but it's like you know what he's doing. He's beefy Jesus. So we're headed off to our eighth match, the Triangle of Terror of Sergeant Slaughter, General Adnan, and Colonel Mustafa versus the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan in a handicap match with Sid Justice as the special referee. Calling him Sid Justice, they just should have called him Sid. I feel like they're burying the lead here. Also, <laughs> Triangle of Terror, do they actually call him that? I think one of the announcers calls him that. Yeah. That Like, Fink, I don't... Or Fink maybe actually called him Triangle really? of Terror. Yeah. Someone, call, someone called them the Triangle of Terror at some point. Yeah. I know we've seen Adnan before, but who is Adnan? He, he was Adnan El Kazi. He was uh, on the AWA show that helped uh, yeah. beat up Slaughter. So yeah. him, Slaughter, Adnan, and, and Iron Sheik have all been like fighting Tick- each other together over the, years, yeah. over the years. Just all... This is just like the cartoonist, the most cartoon version of this gimmick that they've been doing together off and on for the last decade. So the last time we saw Colonel Mustafa, obviously, like we said earlier, he was the Iron Sheik. And that was at Great American Bash 1990. So Colonel Mustafa didn't show up last when with him last time. Nope. Like when he lost the belt. Nope. That was with General Adnan. All right. And that was episode 46. So we see... As Sarge and the Triangle of Terror get into the ring, we see them and Sid have a bit of a conversation in the middle of the ring. As Warrior comes out, Heenan calls him Captain Schizo. Yes, he does. Pretty solid name. He's, he's shaking the 
shaking the ropes and, you know, being being Ultimate Warrior, being kind of schizo. And then Hulk and Sid have a bit of a stare down when he gets in the ring. Mm. Who Can we trust a man with the last name Justice? And we get some USA chants starting up. USA. USA. So Slaughter has his military whip out ready to use on Hogan, but Sid wrangles it away. And military then Hulk, whip. Yeah, one of those like uh, horse whip type thing. Yeah, yeah. I've just never seen those two words put next to each other, and it sounds like a band I would listen to. <laughs> Hogan with a reversal, sending Sarge into the corner for a hard Irish whip, and then his ping pong punched between Hulk and the Warrior. They then hit a double team clothesline on Slaughter. Warrior continues with an inverted atomic drop, a double team big boot, and Hogan slams Sarge's head on the turnbuckle for a two count. Hulk with an elbow to the head, shot to the gut by Warrior before slamming Slaughter's head into Hogan's boot. Hulk then goes to the second rope, coming off with a double axe handle. Hogan with an Irish whip, charges into the corner to hit a clothesline, begins to choke Sarge in the corner, but Sid forces him to break. Vicious is not taking crap. I said vicious, and it's actually Justice. It's Justice. Sid Justice isn't taking crap from anybody. He keeps saying he's going to eject him from the match. Basically, you know, start doing what I'm saying. Yeah, he's trying to keep the peace. Hulk is forced to break from choking again, but this time Slaughter comes out of the corner with a rake to the eyes to gain control. Sarge slams Hogan's head into Mustafa's boot, Adnan with multiple rakes of the eyes, multiple back rakes. Mustafa with a gut-rich suplex puts Hulk into the camel clutch, but Warrior comes in to kick Mustafa in the head to break the hold. Slaughter takes over with a backbreaker, slams Hogan's head into the turnbuckle, begins to choke him when Justice breaks it up. So maybe he is going to call it down, down the, the middle. middle. Who knows? Sarge goes for a boomerang Irish whip, meaning that he sends him back into the corner, which he just came out of. Yeah. Sending Hulk right into Sid, who no-sells it, which allows Slaughter to hit a double axe handle from behind. Adnan starts working on Hogan's back with axe handles, more rakes to the eyes, biting him. Sarge goes up to the top rope, but Warrior comes over and pushes him off into the ring. This allows Hulk to crawl to the corner for the hot tag. Warrior with right hands, multiple clotheslines on Slaughter, running the ropes and accidentally runs into Sid again. Who no-sells it again? Yes. I mean, who really gets over in this match? Or who are they trying to get over in this match, at least? I don't know if it actually happens. Uh, Time will tell. Sarge uses the distraction to rake Warrior's eyes, slams his head into Mustafa's boot, Adnan with chops and back rakes, and the colonel goes for a vertical suplex, but is blocked and reversed by Warrior. Adnan and Slaughter continue the assault on Warrior as Hulk is baited to come into the ring by Sarge. Slaughter, with a short arm clothesline, tosses Warrior to the ropes, misses a clothesline, and Warrior comes back with a flying clothesline. Sid's making a 10 count because they're both down, when all of a sudden Warrior leaps to his corner for the even hotter tag. tag. Hulk with the finger wag, right hands, big boot on Sarge, Lays out Adnan with the right hand. Warrior lays out Mustafa with the right hand, sending them both out to the floor. Hogan slams Slaughter's head onto the turnbuckle, 
and Warrior has gone to the floor, grabbing a chair, and starts chasing Adnan and Mustafa to the back. Yeah, Hulk- just to, you know, clean up a loose end, I guess. Like, well, okay, all right. Hulk then takes something out of his trunks. Not the little Hulkster, thankfully. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's, but it's powder. Yes. Throws it into Sarge's face, hits the leg drop for the pin, and the win. Powder? Unnecessary. Unnecessary. I, I, I was Unnecessary. Like, why does Hogan uh, need powder? Unnecessary. To win match? Unnecessary? If Slaughter did that, if, if, like, if, okay, Ultimate Warrior does his chair thing, runs off the two guys, like, Hogan runs off the ropes, Slaughter ducks it, throws powder into Hogan's face, and pins him, and now he has to defend him later on? That's how this should have ended. Because this is stupid as fuck. Or Slaughter has thrown powder into Hogan's face at some point, and they just didn't tell us about it. I don't know. I'm just saying, no, if that's no, I'm what saying, happened, that's I'm why this, Hogan... I'm, yeah. I'm, I can almost guarantee that's probably what happened. Yeah. But... That they didn't tell us anything about the powder. Oh, okay. The that, powder like, just previously. Came out of the previously, nowhere. you're saying that he did that. I'm saying that if this is the first time that powder has been a part of this deal, like Hogan shouldn't be using it, and Hogan can lose here. The title is not on the fucking exactly. line, and it makes it interesting. Like honestly, if Slaughter powdered Hogan and pinned him, I would be stoked on this. But this is fucking as Jim Cornette would say. Flatter than a plate full of piss. Well, spoiler alert: Slaughter will not be in the title picture anymore. Yeah, I can't. Im- I can't imagine he would be. I'm not saying that I wish he was, but I'm saying that they could have done something interesting to the finish, the opposite way they did do it. <laughs> but then we would have gotten more Slaughter and Hogan. I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that, but I also don't want to see what I just saw. I mean. Just get rid of the powder and it's fine. Yeah, if he just killed him, if he just, you know, big boot, elbow dropped him, it's fine. He already, yeah. So Is this the worst main event we've ever fucking watched? Bunkhouse Stampede. Oh, sorry. I always forget, whenever it's bad, whenever you're feeling low, whenever you feel like, well, maybe maybe I don't like wrestling, there is always the Bunkhouse Stampede. Luger Flair with the schmoz from... Ole Anderson pulling the cage up. Yes. Easily, easily That's the worst. worst. This. And, yeah. This be- match, the match itself is actually an entertaining match. I yeah, had no. Fine. It's just, I don't care before I, I even yeah, started it. That's true. I, I didn't care, but it well, wasn't, it was fine for yeah, what it was. Yeah. I agree. Minus the powder, which is really the big problem for me. I agree. So post match, I don't know if you've heard. But Hogan must pose. When I, t- I texted you earlier today and I said, I've got about 20 minutes left of of SummerSlam. And then I almost texted you immediately after that. And so I was like, so that means about five more minutes of posing and a 15-minute <laughs> wedding. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, like, oh, come on, man. I get it. But we get a little bit more out of this. Yeah, Hogan poses. Hogan's posing. Gorilla says... Take a look at the greatest professional athlete in the world today. And Heenan chimes in with, but not the real world champion. Yes, that's very good. But then Hulk motions towards the locker room for someone to come back out. 
Yes, and he does. Sid emerges. He pokes his little head out of the curtain. It's kind of funny. And he's like, "Me? You want me to come back out?" Yeah, me? and he, yeah, and the crowd's like screaming just because Hulk Hogan's there, but he's doing the ear thing. Justice gets in the ring. Hogan rips the ref shirt off of him and gets him to do some posing with him. Yeah, and then we get another five minutes of posing. So Sid's we a did. face. No man, no man with traps that big can be a face for long. We're, we go back to the jailhouse with the Mountie, and we see one of the other inmates shushes him, and then another makes a pass at the Mountie. Yeah, they do like a uh, a prison gay joke, but it's like a guy with a biker jacket on. It's like, I mean, I don't know if they've been to jail before, but they don't let you just wear your clothes. No. They take all your things. Then Gorilla sends us to a video package, and we see Mean Gene in the ring interviewing Macho Man with Miss Elizabeth there. Savage tells Elizabeth he loves her, pulls a ring out, gets down on a knee, oh my and God. proposes. Oh my God. Elizabeth! Elizabeth! Will you marry me? And she what goes. Is the, what is the answer going to be? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know can't do a very good lady voice but she does an oh yeah and it is so adorable and i was tearing up like i think that that segment is incredible because like savage is milking the like is he gonna do it is he gonna actually like does he have does he have it in him to ask her to marry him and like the commentary is doing it really well and then like when he finally does it and we've spent so much time with these characters and like it's also you know grounded in some reality as well of course but yeah and then her response the oh yeah like oh man that i'm i'm so glad that they put that on this show that because it was fucking wonderful i loved it we then get a musical tribute to elizabeth and macho man showing highlights of their relationship the highlights are fine you know what's crazy that song that song is so bad yes it's it's a it's not the song that was on the original pay-per-view. Okay. I'm curious they, to know what the original song was, because the song that's on this doesn't sound like something from that time. Like no. that, But it is easily the worst song I've heard all year. <laughs> like, it's no. A, I, I don't know. I couldn't find that song, but the original yeah, song was a song called Together, I believe. Whatever. It's got to be but I don't remember who it's by. This but. song is... So, like, the song that's on the network is fucking horrendous. Yeah, it's really, really bad. It is... Oh, man. It is... (sighs) I'm shaking it off. Let me just shake it off real quick. Bad song. But, beautiful moments. We then get to see the actual wedding of Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. The ropes have been taken off the ring, and a stage is set up on it. Savage comes out, decked out all in all white. He was a big old. He's got the hat, but he's got this like one foot like feather, white feather, and it's like white and gold. His whole suit, it's great. A flower girl, couple ring bearers, maid of honor. The maid of honor has got to be Elizabeth's like real sister because she looks like Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if she really was. Yeah, I imagine that is probably some of their actual family. And then Miss Elizabeth makes her way out. Oh my gosh. The official starts and goes through all of the rhetoric. And Macho says, 
oh yeah, yeah instead so of good. instead of i do uh-huh and then elizabeth responds with a energetic i do i thought she said i will no or maybe earlier she does she says i will and i was like weird like i think you're supposed to say do but maybe that was the earlier it's a it's a legit wedding it's like a it looks like it's they yes they really kind of pull it all out and like it looks really nice. It just happens to be in Madison Square Garden with a bunch of wrestling fans. So the rings are placed. The official makes it official. And the two kiss. And balloons and streamers come raining down all over the crowd. Yeah. And Gorilla says goodbye from the show. <sighs> and they leave to pop and, Pomp and Circumstance, I believe. They do. Which, you so, know what? I think that Pomp and Circumstance could potentially... I think Pomp and Circumstance, the song, is a better song to walk out to get married to than the traditional wedding song. I think they're both that, like that is an opinion. I think that they're both traditionally um, like famous from being used in Shakespeare and other things. Yeah, Pomp and Circumstance, I love it. It seems more energetic. So, Michael Temple, yes. What are your overall thoughts of SummerSlam nineteen ninety one? I think everyone should watch it, but it is kind of garbage. But it's also kind of perfect. It's kind of a weird show. It's mostly terrible, but it somehow feels necessary. I mean, I think the show is actually pretty fun. I oh, it's it's very entertaining and it is fun. But like, there's no like, there's one and a half great matches on this show. Oh, I, I disagree with you on that one. I, I I think I probably like this show better than you then. Because I think the first four matches of this show are great. Okay, I take that back. They are good, but one of them is very unnecessary, and I hate the Bushwhackers. But I thought it was still a very fun match. No, like it, like the show, like I said, it feels like you should watch it, but it's also not great, but it's easy to watch. Like it's it, entertain it's entertaining. Other other than the like twenty minutes where it gets bogged down and doing all the promos. Yeah. So it kind of loses a little bit of its momentum at that point. Other than that, like because you can literally fast forward through ninety percent of that. Because if you just watch the matches, the matches are all really actually fun. They're all fun, but the thing is, I don't care about most of them. I mean, the worst ones, obviously, IRS and Valentine, and even that I'm one. I'm glad we agree there. And even that one's, I mean, it got the least amount of time on the show, I think. Yeah, it's just like, it felt, that one was, it's like, who cares about any of these people? I mean, we've seen Mike Rotunda, a.k.a. IRS, enough to know yeah. that his matches are not entertaining. Yeah. So the crazy, I think everyone probably knows this, but. This wasn't an actual wedding, or or a real wedding, I guess I should it say. Wasn't a, it wasn't a, an, an official ceremony. Because they have been married for, like, six years at this point. Yeah, but, like, I, I low-key... Seven, seven years, yeah. sorry. I love the wedding. I just feel like it should have been in the middle of the show. But it in this show, it should be at the end of the show, because they don't I mean, have anything big enough. You know the reason why they put it at the end of the show. It's because they took the ring down. So they have to, for yeah, yeah. logistics type stuff, they have to... I get that, but also... They either have to put it basically at the beginning of the show, or the end and, of the and then 
have a whole bunch of stuff. But here's the thing. But, it should be at the end. But even saying that, I'm like, we just complained about 20 minutes of promos. Mm-hmm. So literally they could have done the wedding and then done and all those promos yeah, and reset and so, the ring back up. And Yeah. I honestly, I'm, I think that it, on this show with this card, it should be the last thing. Yeah. Because there's no feuds here. They don't even sell the best feud they've got. And the first two matches are the best two matches. Agreed. I mean, first two, first two matches definitely are the best two matches. But by, like I said, it's not a hard show to watch. It's just like there's sometimes like LOD and Nasty Boys. Still, I didn't even care about that. And I wanted to. I mean, once they did a something that should have disqualified them and or the whole well, yeah, no the, tag the thing, DQ, the once D, it like, does that, it's just yeah. kind of like... It oh, should not okay. have been a DQ. It should have been a regular tag match. Cool, whatever. It should have been a regular tag match for sure. The DQ thing definitely hurt that. It is fun. I love the commentary team on this show. I thought that it worked better than I expected it to be. I, I agree. It's not a hard show to watch, but if you are familiar with like 90s wrestling, you know what the things that are important here are. And one of them is a wedding. The, yeah, the two things that this show is known for is Brett's first singles title yeah. and, and the wedding. That's yeah. the two things that this show is that's known the, for. So should, that's what it should only be known for. If we could you know, use a time machine, the show should be known for the big gold and Ric Flair thing. But they fumbled that. And didn't even, like, maybe they were just trying to tease it as lightly as they did, but I've never known WWF to be fucking light on their feet. You know what I mean? Like, they if they, they normally go whole hog on things immediately. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So tell me your best moments of the show. Well, the best moment of the show is the package. It's not even the package, it's just playing the clip from what was probably like Saturday Night Main Event or Wrestling Challenge or something, whatever the show was at the time, of... uh, The proposal? Of the proposal. The proposal is the best thing on the show that outside of probably the best, one of the best, probably the best match of 91 we'll see in WWF, which was perfect in... Bret Hart. I mean, it's possible. I mean, we've seen some other... Trying to think if we've seen any other good WWF matches in 91 or not. I mean, I liked the first Virgil. Oh, we had uh, Savage and Savage and Warrior at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. That was great. But this is one that's like more, more of just like a technical like, and work, work rate match. Yeah. I love... One of the things that I really loved in that match was... The in the beginning where Mr. Perfect is just like constantly hold, like grabbing onto Brett's hair. Yeah. And like they're rolling around and he's like still got it and he's still got it. And then like Brett Hart eventually was like, hey, fuck you. And like, you know, uses the hair as an ad- grabs Mr. Perfect's hair. And it's just like, ah, this is fucking that's that's good shit. I love Brett reversing the wishbone leg drop into the sharpshooter for the win. Oh, yeah. No, that was great. Perfect, perfect win. Uh, no excellent. pun intended. Excellent, excellent yeah. Win. Yeah, an excellent win. Yeah, but I couldn't believe that was the second match. I couldn't believe that they wasted the Steamboat match. I mean, at this point, they were always... And there's no the, taker. The, no no taker, no rockers. 
So is that your most disappointing moments? Is that there's no Rockers and no Undertaker? No, it's just, I wouldn't, honestly, if these matches were better, I may have not noticed it. But there's just some shit here that doesn't need to be here. And it's kind of bizarrely put I mean, together. I literally didn't, I didn't even realize that they weren't there until after the show was over. And then I went, really? oh yeah, those guys weren't there. So it's not like I missed them. But they would have made the show just a little bit better. I'll agree with that. Yeah. But, but like, I don't. Yeah. But I don't think that, like I said, I I thought the show was super fun. I I had no issue with the show. I'm not going to say it's, it's fun. It's an easy watch, but it's not. It's kind of. It's like vanilla ice cream. It's like yeah, it's ice cream. Like I like it. <laughs> like uh, like you know what I mean? It's like oh, it's it's good, but you know you could throw some things in here. And the things they threw in are great, but they're just so weird. Like, I feel like if the first match and the second match were, like, distributed throughout the card. But what would you put as the lead match, then? Oh, the first match? Yeah, if you're going to take away the first match, then what do you put as the first match? Um, well... Because that's that six man tag is designed to be yeah something yeah. to get the crowd into the I show. I would I would make the six man tag not maybe as or may I would probably just put the LOD fucking nasty boys match first because it was it was fine and it's like well at least big beef would that, pop. Would that have gotten you into the show though? Cause no, you I mean I was I I'm just saying like the. I don't know. Uh, this if, show's if, weird. This show is weird. At least if we were gonna, if we were gonna go with that. That mm-hmm. thought process. Yes. I would actually have might have put Big Boss Man and Mounty first. Because then they could you spra- can separate the Because they could have separated mm-hmm. all those vignettes out even more. Yeah. Because literally they basically had to do all those vi- put all those vignettes in in the yes. last like forty five minutes of the show. So it got Which was old in be- and- basically in between our promo sphere. So yeah. I mean, I mean that's that's the that's the only choice I think you have if you want to if you want to take that first match out of being the first match. Yeah, I just think that Steamboat should not have been in a six man, but I guess he doesn't show first, up, so maybe it, not. I don't know if I don't know if you even realized while you were watching that match, yeah. they never said that he was Ricky Steamboat, and they basically the and they basically acted like he had never been in the WWF before. Yeah, he was because, a brand new person. Yeah, they did do that. That's true. And that's wild. Uh, but I guess that's, you know, pre-internet type shit. It's fucking, it's fucking wild. But this show is not a hard watch. I just think that there is only two good things on it. Or two, you, didn't like, you didn't like Virgil and Million Dollar Man? No, I liked it. That's, okay, two and a half. I like that. I just feel like that it should have been a, you know, I'm wrong. You can't have a good angle and just let it end no good angle ever ends it just goes on for too long until it's not as good anymore and that's kind of just wrestling so like i'm wrong to i'm wrong to expect that an angle will happen and finish who was your best performer of the night bret hart mr perfect you can coin toss that it's mr perfect for me just because he had a fucking back injury going into the match yeah, I mean, and, yeah. And you, and you give, just watching it, you could not tell. No, no, I couldn't tell at all. I would give, I'll give him, I'll, I'll give him the, uh, the lead on that because, uh, that's rough, and he did, and I can't do anything for you, bud. But 
you know, you didn't, you shouldn't have had to do that, but that's, that's the nature of the game. And anything surprising? I mean, obviously the big gold belt showing up. Big gold, big gold's my biggest surprise. The fact that they said Ric Flair's name. And then from that, the biggest surprise is that they squandered it. And I'm going to have to find out why. There has to be a reason. What do you mean squandered it? Squandered the like Ric Flair thing. Like, why wasn't he on TV? Why didn't they make a bigger deal of it? But I guess, never mind. I mean, he'll he'll, he'll be here soon. Yeah, I know he will. I know he will be. But like Vince and WWF, they don't really acknowledge other companies anyway. That's kind of been a thing. No, that's correct. For a long time. That's why, you know, in the WWF, when they take all those people from the territories, even in the earlier, early like pay per views and uh, whatnot, we they don't talk about why JYD is so over or why like Hacksaw is is over because they came from these territories, but they don't ever talk about those things. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Bruno Sammartino had held the WWWF Heavyweight Championship for over 1,200 days until superstar Billy Graham would become the seventh champion on April 30th, 1977 in Baltimore, Maryland. Billy Graham, born 1943 in Phoenix, Arizona, to a working-class family. As a teenager, he would become interested in bodybuilding, even winning a competition in 1971 and training with Arnold Schwarzenegger in California. He would begin his training in professional wrestling under Stu Hart, debuting early in 1970. Billy Graham would work all over the country, traveling from AWA to NWA, gaining experience before getting his big break in Florida, taking their heavyweight title from Dusty Rhodes. He would make his way to WWF to defeat San Martino and be a heel champion for over nine months. During his time, he would even have a title versus title match against the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Harley Race, for his contributions and accomplishments that include being the inspiration for many wrestlers such as Hulk Hogan and Jesse Ventura. Superstar Billy Graham is inducted into the Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. Graham would hold on to his title till a clean-cut challenger would step forward. Bum, bum, bum. Every time uh, I see Billy Graham, isn't, is that the name of also like the like megastore uh, preacher? Not a megastore preacher. He was just like the Baptist evangelist that like lived forever. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, but yeah, he never yeah. was a, he never was a like big church guy. He's, he, he was big church in smaller times, kind of. But every time that, I see superstar Billy Graham, I think of that guy. And I'm like, oh, like I know I'm thinking of the wrestler, but I also am like, wait, do they both have the same name? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they do. Next week, Halloween Havoc 1991. I hope that there is in a cage. You hope there is or isn't? No, they've had a bad luck with cages at Halloween Havoc. Oh, you're going to love Halloween Havoc. Oh, man. That's not... I hope that I like. I hope I do love it. Is it Barry Windham versus Lex too? It is not. Well, that's a plus. That alone is a plus. But yeah, Halloween happened. Let's let's just say, at one point while watching, I went, 
what the fuck am I watching? Okay. That could be good or bad. It could be good or bad. Yes. So the music from this week's show is the theme from SummerSlam 91, and I'm going to play Pomp and Circumstance. I think you should either play Pomp and Circumstance or the Wedding March song, whatever it is, but I prefer Pomp and Circumstance. He is a champion. Anybody that gets to share their life with somebody as wonderful as Miss Elizabeth is is a champion. In my eyes and yours. If you like this show or any of our episodes, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Leave those five stars or no stars. You heard it here. Five stars, no stars. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. See you in the pumpkin cage.